Welcome to the series where we teach you about the extraordinary fauna of New Zealand. We'll uncover everything about these animals, from the general knowledge to the biology. Exclusive interviews will show us how people work to keep them safe in a world where their home is shrinking fast. I'm Kevin Thew, and this is the Native New Zealand Podcast. There are not too many creatures that can claim to be one of a kind, but that's a boast the Tuatara can make. In fact, the Tuatara is among the most unique wildlife in the world. Although it looks like a lizard, it really is quite different. Firstly, we must look at the origin of such a creature to understand it. To do this, well, we'll have to look back a few hundred million years. The Tuatara are the sole survivors of an ancient group of reptiles, the order Rhinocephalia, sometimes called Sphedontida, a sister group to the order of Squamata, which is the largest order of reptiles today, including lizards, snakes, and amphisbanians. They first appeared here in the fossil record of the Middle Triassic period, when the first prehistoric reptiles and dinosaurs emerged, around 250 million years ago. However, the oldest fossils of Sphenodon, the only extant genus of Tuatara, are less than 10,000 years old. Now, let's actually go take a look at this strange animal. I'm currently near the Tuatara enclosure at Willowbank Wildlife Reserve. I'm inside, but the enclosure is outside. It's like a massive mesh box with glass as well at the top. Um, I can see a greyish green one now, two or three meters ahead of me, completely still outside a burrow, basking in the sun, which is a completely normal behavior for most reptiles. Reptiles need, um, they need full spectrum light to thrive. So UVB light from the sun is, is really important for them because it helps them to produce vitamin D. Um, reptiles can re only really produce vitamin D uh, with sunlight. So sometimes some animals get vitamin D from their diet, but reptiles don't do that very well. And so they need sun to produce vitamin D, which allows them to metabolize calcium. So if they don't get full spectrum light, they, uh, their bodies lack calcium, they start to get rubbery bones, um, and they'll get neurological disorders as well because the nervous system needs calcium too. The Tuatara have a very strange feature. Its function is believed to be useful in absorbing these ultraviolet rays and setting circadian and seasonal cycles. The Tuatara has a third eye on the top of its head called the parietal eye. This eye has a retina, lens, cornea, and nerve endings, but is not used for vision. The parietal eye is only visible in hatchlings, as it becomes covered in scales and pigments after four to six months. It's a 
gloomy cold day here in Christchurch, New Zealand. Weather in New Zealand varies widely. The far north has subtropical weather during summer, while the inland alpine areas of the South Island can be as cold as negative 10 degrees in winter. However, most of the country lies close to the coast, which means mild temperatures year-round. Most reptiles cannot survive in an environment so cold. Reptiles are cold-blooded or ectothermic animals. This means that they cannot produce heat in their own bodies like how mammals do. They have to rely on their own surroundings to keep warm. This is why most reptiles are found in places with hot climates. Though Tuatara are fine with the mild temperatures of New Zealand. In fact, they enjoy it. They do not thrive in conditions of over 25 degrees Celsius, which most other reptiles love. They are one of the few groups of reptiles that can survive in such conditions, as Tuatara can be active at low body temperatures. Their internal temperatures typically hover around 18 degrees, though they can even remain active when their body temperatures dip as low as 13. The secret behind this ability is believed to be due to them having an unusually high number of TRP genes compared to most other reptiles. TRP genes are involved in making proteins tied to temperature sensitivity and regulation of body temperature. Life in the burrows and their nocturnal activity still expose them to lower temperatures and conditions where thermoregulation is impossible. During these nights, their body temperatures decrease to a range of 3 to 4 degrees and their metabolism slows down, as does their ability to move. Their low metabolic rate is part of the reason why they mature slowly and don't stop growing until they're 30 and can even live up to a hundred years in the wild. Even in winter, when it gets too cold, the Tuatara do not by definition hibernate, but they may not eat for up to six months and their breathing rate can slow to about one breath in an hour, unlike other reptiles which have to hibernate during winter. Now, excluding winter, if they are nocturnal and their ability to move slows down during the colder nights, how do they catch food? Well, they commonly employ weight and trap techniques that don't require much energy. For example, a chameleon uses very little energy while it sits, waiting for an insect to get within striking distance of its sticky tongue. On the note of eating, Tuataras have some of the strangest teeth in the world. They have a single row of teeth on the lower jaw and a double row of teeth on the upper jaw, with the bottom row fitting between the two upper rows when the mouth is closed. It's a tooth arrangement not seen in any other reptile. And unlike any living toothed reptiles, the tuatara's teeth are not separate structures, but sharp projections of the jawbone. This means that worn down or broken teeth cannot be replaced. Older tuataras with worn down teeth have to switch from eating hard insects, lizards, eggs and birds to softer prey such as earthworms, larvae and slugs.
The Tuatara usually hunt in or around their burrows. They can dig their own burrows, though they tend not to do so. Instead, very sneakily live in the burrows of another animal. They live in seabird colonies with, with seabirds, but they live there because they live in the burrows and eat the baby seabirds. <laughs> and, and they eat skinks and geckos that they catch um, on the ground. Um, and they don't really um, like associate well with other tuataras even either. So the males will be quite dominant over an area and they'll kind of chase others away. The burrow systems are often made up of a network of interconnected tunnels. Each tunnel may be several meters long and possess multiple entrances. Although Tuatara are solitary and territorial, as many as five or six Tuatara may occupy the same system. Though Tuatara do not always simply live in these small seabird colonies on offshore islands, they used to inhabit the South and North Island and numbered in the millions. Now, there are no naturally wild populations of Tuatara on mainland New Zealand. So, what is the reason that the Tuatara population fell so drastically? Absolutely, I would say that the main factor is areas that have predators. So it seems like, um, for example, in, in Cook Strait, where these islands are, that there are lots of Tuatara. It seems like when it's a predator-free place where there's suitable habitat for Tuatara, they go crazy and there's millions of them. But um, as soon as you get into an area where there's predators and um, they're, they're not safe when they're making nests and things like that, then there's absolutely none. As far as numbers go, Tuatara are pretty good, like much better than a lot of other endangered species. The issue they have is that um, the the places where they live uh, have to be really, really predator-free. And so if a rat or a predator that um, predated on their offspring or their eggs became established in the places where they live, then they can really hurt the population. Um, rats have a big effect on tuataras because they eat the eggs, they eat the babies, and they also prey on the adults. And so it means that you get a, the adult population gets smaller, they can't have any babies, and any babies that are, the, are around get eaten before they mature to sexual maturity. So you basically stop all breeding as soon as rats arrive. So they only really thrive in places where there's no predators at all. The Tuatara's largely nocturnal habits conceal it from many potential predators, but occasionally it is also preyed upon by hawks, gulls, or kingfishers. Tuatara now only survive in naturally wild populations on 32 islands around mainland New Zealand, which are predator-free. The threat to Tuataras was so serious that in 1895, the New Zealand government fully protected Tuataras and their eggs. Even with this protection, Tuatara populations continue to disappear as rats reach one island after another. The most recent extinction of an island population happened in 1984, when rats killed all the Tuataras on a 10-hectare island in just six months. Although there is always a chance that when being predated, it can escape using a very unexpected strategy. Like many species of lizard, it can drop their tails when danger is near. 
They do this by bending their tails at a side angle at very high speeds. The tail continues to wiggle and squirm, confusing the predator, allowing for the tuatara to swiftly sneak away. They can also try a quick escape by dropping their tail while in the claws or teeth of its predator. If a point on the tail is hit or stressed, the muscles along the fracture plane pull away from one another rather than knitting together. This is known as a reflex muscle spasm. The pulling apart of the muscles causes the tail to fall off along the line of weakness. The tuatara have even sometimes been seen to return later when the coast is clear, when it's safe to eat their tails. Now, of course, with a mechanism like this, they can regenerate their tail, which usually only takes a couple of months. Although this technique is more than less unsuccessful, and they will usually die when met with a predator, as they have little defense mechanisms after once being the apex predator in New Zealand. Thankfully, over the past decade, conservation programs have worked hard to bring the tuatara populations back from the brink of extinction. They now only need to maintain the numerous populations left. Tuatara are a difficult species to monitor as they are very cryptic animals. Most importantly, the rangers do a survey every five years to pick up changes in the population. They do it every five years as tuatara are very long-lived and slow breeding. Many people that work closely with these animals agree that witnessing them during the mating season is a highlight. The social structure of tuatara is similar to that of iguanian lizards. They all have territorial defense and courtship behaviors. When the mating season for the tuatara occurs, social interactions between the tuatara increase. A male defends his territory by inflating his body, erecting the crest on his head and neck, and shaking his head. Close encounters between males result in a sequence of mouth-gaping behaviors that can lead to chases. These pursuits may culminate in a forceful biting if both males are initially unwilling to yield. Males often make croaking sounds during these intense confrontations. These vocalizations are seldom heard at other times. During courtship, the male approaches the female, inflates his body, and erects his spines. This body enlargement is accentuated by his stilted, stately walk toward the female and around her. A male may circle a female several times before copulation occurs. In the wild, the tuatara digs like a shallow burrow and they lay about 10 or 15 eggs inside it. And then the female covers it over and they leave that burrow by itself to, to incubate in the ground. For most females, egg deposition occurs on a four-year cycle and not until late October to mid-December. Each egg requires 11 to 16 months of incubation in the ground before hatching occurs. The growth of the juveniles is also slow, and individuals require 9 to 13 years to attain sexual maturity in most populations. The main issue that came with growing the tuatara populations 
is due to a very difficult reproductive process. So how did they do it? In the past, when we have bred them, we find the site where they've laid the eggs and we'll remove the eggs and we artificially incubate them. So we have um, a special reptile incubator that keeps the eggs at a particular temperature. Um, the, the sex of baby tuataras um, is dependent on the temperature that they're incubated at. And so we can, can control what sex uh, babies we get by changing the temperature a little bit. Um, and that way, if we remove them and incubate them, they're also safe from any other females or any predator that might try and eat them or anything like that. So uh, it's a long incubation, so it's about 12 months for them to incubate in that incubator, and we have to control the temperature and humidity quite closely. So there's a lot of um, changing the incubation medium. They, they, their eggs are put into um, something called vermiculite, which is um, like potting mix that holds moisture and um, uh, that keeps them at a, a stable temperature and humidity um, for that 12-month period, and we'll change it over occasionally to make sure it's not getting mouldy or anything. So there's quite a process to incubating the eggs, but um, it's reasonably well-known. Uh, like, there's, there's a lot of research and a lot of other facilities do the same thing, so it's not particularly uh, experimental or complicated. We just follow instructions and usually they hatch out okay. So yeah, um, we, um, we we never keep the babies together with the adults either because the adults will eat the babies uh, after they hatch out. So it's another reason to take the eggs away and make sure that they're separate from the adults. Although Tuatara breeding programs are currently offline due to the healthy Tuatara populations, they may come back for a new reason. Um, and so the recommendation is that we don't breed any currently. But that might change in the future and then we, we may breed some. And likewise, maybe there will be a new conservation area open up. I mean, there's work being done on Banks Peninsula, which might be an ideal habitat for Tuatara. And then in the future, maybe they will want to release some from captivity. But um, yeah, at the moment, no, not for Tuatara. The Tuatara is one of the most unique in the world. From having a third eye, to being one of the longest living creatures on the planet. I hope that through this episode, you have learned a lot about the Tuatara, but I also encourage you to keep researching and open your curiosity to this incredible animal. It is sad to know that this reptile almost meant extinction, and even now that there are significantly more healthy populations, they are isolated from the mainland which they once dominated and more than likely will never be able to fully reclaim their true home. However, with upcoming projects, we hope to see wild Tuatara populations start to grow back onto the mainland. Now, a final big thanks to Willowbank Wildlife Reserve and more specifically, Head of Native Nick for letting us interview him so we could learn more about the behind the scenes on protecting Tuatara as well as some great education about them. I'm your host, Kevin Thiel, and thank you for listening to the Native New Zealand Podcast.